0: Hi, I'm Kirsty Gallagher and this is Give Us Your Goals, the podcast which finds out how some of the biggest names in sport and entertainment go about achieving their dreams. In this episode, I speak to the TV presenter Michaela Strachan. She started off her career on kids' programmes like The Really Wild Show and Wide Awake Club before going on to become well-known for her love of conservation and wildlife on shows like Springwatch and Countryfile. In our conversation, she tells me why she's always been motivated to be financially independent and why her goals have constantly shifted as her career has progressed. Give Us Your Goals as a paid promotion by online investment platform, Best Invest. Michaela, welcome to Give Us Your Goals. I've been really, really looking forward to speaking to you. You know my animal love. Uh, how are you? <laughs> I'm pretty good, Kirsty. Feeling, feeling top of the world. Fantastic. Now you're in South Africa. So you live there most of the year, apart from when you're sort of here and, and here, there and everywhere, travelling for work. is that right?
1: I do. I live in a beautiful place. I live in the Hout Bay in Cape Town. So I've got, I've got the Table Mountain National Park behind me. Wow. I've got a harbour in front of me. And out of my window, I've got the sun shining. So oh, not bad, eh? What could be better? And I
0: guess in a way, I mean, that would definitely feed my love and my passion for sort of animals and, and wildlife. Does it, does it very much sort of feed that part of you?
1: I mean, people think of South Africa and obviously they think of wild animals. I live in Cape Town, it's just outside the city. So we, we haven't got lions and giraffes and zebra roaming about but it is a very wild and beautiful place. It's a city that's sort of crammed between the mountain and the sea. And so you do feel a real energy of the ocean and the mountain. And the mountain has really become my soul place, my place where I go walking, I go thinking, I go and connect with nature. It takes my stress away. And and I absolutely love it. The mountain has really become my special place. And it it is. It's a very, very beautiful place. Gorgeous. And of course, you know,
0: we we all know so much about you and have watched you on our screens for so many years not not in that way not not so so many years um but just you know <laughs> I what you say Kirsty not at all you've done so many popular brilliant programs is what I'm saying and I grew up watching you on the really wild show and with Timmy Mallet and what you're now doing a lot of sort of conservation work as well as you know I love your autumn watches coming up winter watch spring watch summer watch etc and But is this what you wanted to do? I mean, take me back to when you were growing up, because it could have been quite different, couldn't it?
1: (laughs) If I said to myself at 12 years old that I was going to be presenting a wildlife programme about British wildlife on the BBC, you know, I would not have believed it. My goals as a a child were to be in musical theatre. I absolutely loved performing. I loved dancing and singing and drama. And every day after school, that's what I did. I did drama lessons, singing lessons, tap, modern, ballet, acrobatics. Um, My mother was a dancer, she did it professionally. And so that's what I wanted to do. That's what I thought my path would be. And so my goal from a very young age, when I was really young, my goal was to be a ballet dancer. And then I very quickly learned that my feet were not ballet dancer feet. (laughs) I'm quite flat footed. although, you know, I could I, I look good from the waist up. My feet were never great. So, you know, I was not going to be a ballet dancer. And when I started doing point work, you know, you've got to have Ooh. that beautiful arch in your feet. And I just didn't have it. I used to sit there with my point shoes on and, and put them under a piano and try and bend my feet back to get the arch. How sore. Agonizing. I used to sleep in the flipping things to try and get the art. So as I say, it quickly became obvious <laughs> that ballet dancing was not going to be my path. But I, I really enjoyed dance, in particular contemporary dance. And, and I was, I was a, a pretty okay all-rounder. You know, I wasn't a fantastic dancer or a fantastic singer, but I was quite a good all-rounder. So musical theatre seemed like the obvious path for me. And so when I left school, um, I went to musical theatre college, went to the, the arts educational, and then did a musical theatre course. And that's what I thought my path would be. That that was the journey I was on. And I loved the course. And I went straight into a musical, Seven by and Seven Brothers, yeah, uh, which funny. toured the whole of the UK. It went to Canada and then it went into the West End for six months. So that was where I thought I was heading.
0: So, what what age were you then? We sort of well, I mean, these were your early teens, up to your early teens as well. Before you did sort of Saturday morning television.
1: So I left school at sixteen, which oh, is right. you know these days seems so young. I mean, my son's seventeen. I can not imagine him leaving school yeah, and actually absolutely you know, doing not yeah. But, <laughs> yeah, scary. But I did go to college. As I say went to college from sixteen to nineteen. Left college at nineteen and then started my career. But while I was at college, and even at the end of my schooling, my family had a bit of a catastrophe financially, and we lost all, all of our finances oh. and so we were in quite a desperate state and so I was on a bursary for my last year at school, and then I had to work i mean i I, I had to work, I had to contribute to the family and so I think probably my ultimate goal from very young because of that experience has been. To support myself, to always be able to support myself. And even when I was young, I would do all sorts of part-time jobs to be able to pay my own way and to be able to help my mum out and my family out and contribute to our household. And again, when I tell my 17-year-old that I was paying rent at his age, <laughs> he's like, Yeah, but Mom, that was the old days. <laughs> but you know, but that's just the way it was. And so from a very early age, I learned to have a very strong work ethic and never wanted to be financially dependent on anybody because I saw what that did to a family. You know, when a family loses their finances, it's it's harsh and we had to sell our house, and as I say, we all had to go and, and make our own way financially. So I I, that, that's a, a real thing for me, to be able to always support myself, even in retirement. So I started putting money away very, very early on because I, I just I, I just never wanted to even be in a position where I couldn't pay my bills and look after myself. So I had, I had nuts jobs. You were an Avon lady, weren't you? <laughs> Ding, dong. <laughs> uh-huh. Ding dong. Fabulous, I remember <laughs> those. Well, I think I might have wanted to do that once. You have to be a certain age to remember, ding dong, Avon's hey, calling. I mean, what a what a crazy job to have when you're 16, 17 years old. And I would go to the station on my way to college and I would pop all the leaflets in or the, they were sort of brochures. And on the way back, I would knock on the door and say, do you want anything? And then I'd go with my little beige bag and all the samples <laughs> and show the people. And so, you know, I did that oh my gosh, the funniest job I did was delivering leaflets on roller skates because I wanted to do it quickly. But I, I, That's brilliant. I did, but I never really learned how to stop very well. So I'd go crashing into people's front door. Into doors. the front door. <laughs> oh my God, I've got that, that image now, right now. That is yeah. excellent. I think I thought I wanted to be in Starlight Express, but so I'd shove yeah. these things through the door. And so I had money doing that. Um, I mean, I had all sorts of jobs. Some of them were quite tacky, some of my jobs. Um, I mean, when I was at college doing musical theatre, the teacher said, you know, do you want to help me out with this job? And it was dancing on a bar top in a bar um, and doing, it was like Coyote Ugly dancing because we were, you know, we were training to dance anyway. So the teacher would then teach me the jazz routine the next day on the bar top while I'm pulling pints in my leg warmers. You know, it was slightly tacky. It's brilliant. (laughs) you've got some ama- i bet you've got some amazing st- i'd love
0: to hear more of these and and actually as you say i mean a very sad time you know for your family in that situation but but sort of it, it the positive was that you had to get get on with it you had to think about you know how you were going to support yourself as you said and, and help your 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 family but that must have been very stressful was it was it, it
1: at that age while
0: you're trying to deal with everything make money
1: was it a difficult time it was an extremely difficult time. I, I never, Kirsty, actually talk about what exactly happened because it, it, uh, I, I don't want to. But it was a very emotional, stressful time, and um, and it led to me being anorexic for a while because I, I'm quite a high achieving control freak. So my family would say, <laughs> I know so many of us are. Come might be similar. You know, I like <laughs> I like control in my life, and and so. What happened to me was really textbook anorexia, is that the control was taken away. I couldn't control things anymore and coupled with the fact that i was a dancer in front of a mirror where looks is very important your body shape was very important and so i then focused on my body shape and my control was what i ate so i controlled my life by eating now i look back on that now and think what why did i ever let myself get like that but i did and as i say it's textbook anorexia particularly at that age at 16 17 years old and so It was a very difficult time. But do you know what's interesting, Kirsty, is now I look back at that time and that time made me, you know, it made me into a resilient person and a person that that strives to succeed. And it made me tough. It made me a tough person. And again, I look at my 17 year old who seems to have quite an easy life in comparison. And, you know, I would hate that to happen to him. But it's those, it's those tough times it that is. make you into a better person. And I often think of that analogy of, of a, a butterfly, a caterpillar, a pupae, a butterfly. And, you know, you get an empathetic, kind person that sees the butterfly trying to come out of its pupae or its chrysalis, and it's struggling. And that kind, empathetic person just pulls the chrysalis the pupa apart a little bit to let the butterfly flourish. But because the butterfly hasn't, hasn't worked hard and built up its strength to get out it comes straight out and dies because it hasn't built up the strength so you know I often think about that with our kids and sometimes you know we it's it's in my nature to be really nice to my son obviously and to make his life as pleasant as possible but you know sometimes you think that they need to struggle everybody needs a little bit of a struggle to become successful and to build up resilience and to be tough
0: Absolutely, absolutely right, and that, that that analogy. So
1: I should go and make. I'll do something to make my son's life really hard. <laughs> yes, is. yes. Uh, listen,
0: you made me think all sorts of things with my two sons. Who, <laughs> yeah, I think I think we'll talk about that another time. But yeah, listen, I completely agree with you. And it, I mean, I had a similar situation in my in my teens. Regards, uh, sort of. I wasn't anorexic, but I, I was controlling what I was eating because I wasn't enjoying school. And I uh, couldn't control that because there was some, you know, nastiness at school. I was at a lovely school, but I, I, I did, I just didn't like it. And you're sort of thinking, right? I need to take control because I, I don't, I don't know what's going on here. And your body's changing. And I was similar mm. to you because I was sporty, I wasn't a dancer, but I was sporty. And I'm like, I, I was, I completely empathise. And it's wonderful how you've talked about your struggles because I've read a lot about your story, and it's certainly helped me. Maybe understand also my my sort of teenage years, and it was it was pretty similar actually. And I'm sure many who listen to this will also completely sympathise and empathise as well. But um, you know, it, it is it is good to have adversity. It, it it does make it easier later on. But we just don't know it, do we? And um, so, as you were sort of working hard, and it, it was a difficult time, but you you did end up doing. You know, sort of similar to what you're doing. You you got on tel- onto television. You were doing Saturday morning TV, Wide Awake Club, as I've mentioned before, the really wild show. How did you find that then? You you know, obviously you'd been a dancer, you'd been acting, you'd been in a musical, you were a singer as well. What was that transition like for you? And was that was that an end goal for you at that point? Were you sort of like, yeah, I feel at home here, or, or did you still aspire to kind of get back on stage? Would you say?
1: I think the thing is that the, the early stuff that I presented was the Wide Awake Club. It was a Saturday morning magazine show for children, and there was a lot of performance in it. So it was actually quite a, a natural segue. It was a, it was a, you know, my path was going one way, and then I and then I took a little route to the right, <laughs> but it it very much fitted in with the performance side. I mean, that's what I always wanted to be. I always wanted to be a performer. So when I was in the theatre in the West End, I suddenly thought. I really like to try children's presenting and it was at a time when so it wasn't this sort of fashionable thing that people from musical theatre college wanted to do. I mean, now there's so much opportunity for presenters. Whereas when I started, there was three channels and then there was four and then there was five. So that you know, there wasn't as much opportunity. But I went along to an audition and I actually just thought, well, this would be a good experience, didn't for one minute think I would get it. And we had to do something to uh, show our talents off for a children's show so amongst other things one of the things I did that they obviously thought well she's a bit quirky was I <laughs> sung the chicken song from Image*, <gasps> yeah. which I loved and I love that program yes I love that program <laughs> so much <laughs> so so that was, you know, there's not many people, Kirstie, that can say that they got their job by singing, hold a chicken in the air, put a dick la up. La, la, la. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I love so, it. And that so was that. that. got me my job. Yeah, that was that. <laughs> and because and um, the Wide Awake Club was on, you know, every Saturday morning, practically, throughout the year, and there were only three and then four channels, you know, you became well-known quite quickly very um, so. so I became established very quickly. I mean, now, if you're on a series that's on for six weeks of the year, it can come and go and no one remembers it. But but at that time, everybody knew about the Wide Weight Club, because if you were watching telly at 7.30 on a Saturday morning, you were either watching us or the test <laughs> card. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's what you right. Know? There were some viewers for the test
0: card. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, my God. The, thinking back, it's weird, isn't it? It must be, you know, it's, it's know. quite bizarre. We've got all these channels now and, now and and right back in the day. Exactly. And I was watching you. I was growing up at the same time, not dissimilar age, I may say. So how wonderful. And and then from then on, I, I guess you, you flourished massively, which you did. I mean, and, and to, the, to the point where you are now obviously mainly, yeah, well, actually, that, that brings me on to your love of wildlife your love of animals, um, conservation. I mean, how did that develop? Because you were doing these such sort of children's shows, etc. cetera, which, um, yeah, they, they weren't really that similar, were they?
1: How did, it, how did it come about? Well, a lot of my work I've sort of fallen into. So, you know, I was a performer. I fell into children's presenting. But it, it worked. I went from children presenting. I fell into children's wildlife presenting because yeah. my very first wildlife program was a program called Owl TV, which stood for Outdoors and Wildlife. And um, they basically needed a well-known children's presenter to front it. The pieces were presented by children, so the presenter only had to piece the other bits together. So you didn't need to be an expert. And in fact, in those days, my knowledge was really terrible. We used to go to zoos, and we'd do a a piece in front of the orangutans in in the enclosure and we get our information by reading the bit at the front of the cage really? you know i mean so different to what it is now and there was no research it was like oh yeah they come from orangutan and yeah they're a bit endangered blah 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 and we'd cobble some That'll sort do. of linked together and do a link we, we do a lot more than that this day, <laughs> yeah, let me tell you I, I believe you but, So I fell into children's wildlife presenting. And then from that, I got poached from ITV to the BBC to do the Really Wild Show. And again, at the time, you know, I I had an enormous amount of empathy for wildlife. I I really enjoyed wildlife, but I certainly wasn't passionate at the time about wildlife. And my knowledge was very, very little. But um, with my experience and the programs I've done and the knowledge I've gained, the more passionate I've become. And I think that's really important for young people these days to understand that just because they don't have a passion when they're 14 doesn't mean they won't have a passion when they're 24. Or if they've got a passion for one thing when they're 18, their passion might go off in a totally different direction. And I've always tried to encourage my son and my stepkids to grasp opportunities because opportunities open such a wonderful world and so so many more opportunities and if I hadn't taken sort of side roads off the path I thought I was going on then I wouldn't have such a a fantastic varied career you know my career has gone off on all sorts of tangents I mean even did the hitman and her a late night music show you know, yeah. that wasn't in the plan either. And you were so, a music box. Was it music box? Oh, you no, don't were... even mention music box. Oh, I, I love terrible. that. I, in fact, I was I telling someone it. the other day that, that I was never going to be a... a what we, In those days, it was called a, a VJ, a video jockey. And I remember introducing in excesses, inks. <laughs> oh, <did you? laughs> Oh, God, that's great. Oh, so embarrassing. But, but, you know, so all all of those opportunities that came my way I grasped and they took me off on a different route and so you know we're talking about goals I've, I've had so many different goals as I've gone through my career but I think you know the the underlying goal that started off was to be able to support myself and always work and then the goals changed as I went along you know when I was in musical theatre I, I wanted to be in the West End I wanted to be in a West End musical and I, and I managed to do that then I wanted to be in children's telly, and you know I had I did loads of different children's programs in the late eighties, early nineties. You know then it sort of veered off into wildlife, and now my goal is to inspire people to appreciate and protect wildlife and 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 get into conservation and sustainability so So my goals have sort of done this little weaving action with the programs that I've done.
0: Would you say, I mean, that where we hark back to you talking about helping your family and also supporting and, you know, you had to get on yourself. I I guess you were motivated. It wasn't fame. It wasn't notoriety. It was, was it stability or did you in, did you also think about, oh, I would quite like to make quite a lot of money. Was that ever in the back of your mind?
1: No, no. Making, making a lot of money has never been a major goal for me. Making enough money to be comfortable has been. You know, I've always wanted to be able to have enough money aside so I'm not panicking. And as I say, that takes me back again to what happened to my, my dad who lost his job and, you know, we lost all our finances. And, and that, that was a panic. That was a real panic, stressful situation. And, and I decided at that point that I never wanted to be like that. I always wanted to be able to keep earning. And I think perhaps that's why I've I've taken so many opportunities and and had such a varied career because you know I've I've gone with the opportunities and the work and made sure that I do just keep working. I mean I remember a journalist saying to me once in the '90s. I mean I do a lot less work now than I did in the '90s. I mean the '90s was mental for me. It was really bonkers. And she said to me, she said, "When are you going to get off the running machine?" She's like, "It's gorgeous." on that machine constantly running. And yeah. I thought, yeah, she's right actually. And now I, I find that I have a much better work life balance. But you know, in, in those days I didn't have a child. I didn't need a work life balance. I love my work. I just wanted to work. But now you know I do balance it out a bit and I, I really enjoy my home life and I enjoy my family life and I need that balance.
0: Yeah. And and
1: also you're doing what's important to you now,
0: your passion, which is let's talk about your your latest project uh which is called extreme conservation just talk to us more about that and why it is so important to you
1: yeah i've just started this it's it's a sort of it's one offs in a series that could i mean who knows how long it'll go on for and it's for bbc world so this is a program that funny enough you don't get in the uk that you'll get all over the rest of the world on bbc world news and it's called extreme conservation and we go to different countries looking at what they're doing that is extreme i mean To be honest, Kirsty, everything we're doing to save wildlife is pretty extreme these days. And we started off in the Maldives, for instance, and the Maldives, with climate change and rising sea levels, is extremely vulnerable. And the fact that the coral reefs are being bleached and dying off. And the coral reefs are really important as the first line of defence for those low-lying islands because they soak up the energy of the waves. So they stop erosion. And so if you don't have those coral reefs then the erosion is going to be so much worse. So one of the extreme conservation projects is to build up an artificial reef. And it's amazing how they do it. You know, it's almost it's almost propagating bits of coral onto either a metal structure or this 3D printed coral that they do. And they they're doing all they're trying out all sorts of different ways to basically build a coral reef again. And if it works there, it could work in many different parts of the world. And it's been hugely successful, but obviously they need to scale it up. It's on quite a small scale at the moment. But, you know, in the Maldives, it, it's not an option to to think about what you do to battle climate change. It's, it's an absolute necessity because it's crisis load there, because they are such low-lying islands and they are being eroded away.
0: Mm, we read so much about it. Actually, my son was... Talking about it the other day, we were talking about the Maldives. He was saying it's dire; it's really, really bad. I mean, the, you know, even youngsters now know that, that that is that's that's an island that is is in major, uh, you know, having major problems. And and regards, sort of working and and doing obviously these brilliant programs. I'm pretty sad that we're not going to see it here. Though, um, do you also write? You write a lot as well, though, don't you? I, you, I, I imagine you also have lots of ideas yourself as you go on and as you do these projects.
1: Do you know, it's interesting. I, I don't write as much as books go. I mean, I've written one book and it's a children's book and it's a book of poems. <laughs> it's a book of poems about, about my experiences of filming and they're all bonkers. You know, when you say poems, it's not sort of worthy poems. It's things like never try to out-spit a spitting cobra. <laughs> That's one of the poems. I loved it and when actually... I had a little look
0: at some of the excerpts from it. No, <laughs>
1: brilliant. But that's quite an interesting story if we're again if we're talking about goals, because I wrote that book in a year that suddenly I didn't have a series. And it's the only year that went quiet for me. I mean, I've been doing television for 36 years. I started when I'm 20, when I was 20 and I'm 56 now. So 36 years I've been doing wildlife, I mean not wildlife focus, I've been doing programs, I've been presenting. And then Suddenly, there was a quiet year, and it was like, "Oh, this is interesting." Now what? Yes, yeah. yeah, <laughs> Maybe it's all coming to an end. And so, so I had to then think out of the box. And I thought, what's so interesting these days is when you're a presenter, you make yourself into, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? You make yourself into a brand. That's the word. I'm. I'm a you, you're a brand. <laughs> so yeah, yes, yes, whatever. And a chameleon. Bear. Now, what shall you're I be? A brand. So, so I guess I have, and I, you know, I don't like saying because it makes you sound a bit egotistical, but, but it's a Michaela Strachan brand. And so you think, I okay, yeah. so I've built that brand up over all of these years. What shall I do with that brand now? So then I had to think out of the box about, okay, let's, let's write a, a, a children's, poetry book. <laughs> and originally I wanted it to be like the Gruffalo, you know, where it was just yeah, one, story, one story, two lines per page, lots of lovely pictures. But anyway, I didn't get published. So then I had to write like 12 poems, <laughs> but I really enjoyed it. And then we made the book into a children's show that we took on tour, which I absolutely loved. Sadly, it wasn't massively successful because by the time I bought it out, you know, I wasn't really a children's presenter anymore. So it didn't, as it wasn't a massive success, but I loved doing it. And it also just made me think very differently about the brand that I built. And now, of course, with social media, you have to be so careful with that brand, not to do anything that damages that brand. And so, as you know, Kirsty, in our position, we get asked to promote and, and support and endorse so many different things that you have to make sure that it aligns with your brand and with social media these days that that takes a lot of thought sometimes because people ask you to retweet things but it's got to be in line with your brand and of particularly course. when you get asked to endorse something you know you have to really do your due diligence to try and make sure that it's something you want to endorse. And these days, I don't know about you, but I'm finding it very, very difficult and complex because I want to support brands that are trying to be sustainable. And they don't even need to have to be completely sustainable because that's a journey. But as long as they're going in the right direction and trying, but there's so much greenwashing going on and you do your homework and your due diligence and you think you've ticked the boxes, and and then you support it and then someone points out that, yeah, but did you know that they're doing this thing? Oh, no, I didn't know. No, I didn't find that out in my research. So it's, you know, it is difficult to to protect the brand.
0: I completely and utterly agree with you. And I'm in exactly <laughs> the same shoes as you in that way. And and also because my love of, yeah, obviously sustainability and conservation, but animal welfare and and knowing when people ask you to do all of these things, you're like, and you can't do everything, but you also need to do the right thing so i i i I'm in the same place as you on that it's very difficult and and just you know we're coming up to my favorite program all year round because every season <laughs> I watch it diligently uh obsessively, some would say, my children uh we're coming up to autumn watch you know I mean how enjoy i mean it looks like you have such fun doing that show, and you know my love of Chris Packham, who you've
1: known a long time. <laughs> tell us, tell us more, tell me everything. <laughs> well, I mean, Chris and I have worked together for a long time and we, we worked together on The Really Wild Show for years. Chris then left The Really Wild Show and I carried on. Then we worked on shows for Animal Planet. So we did a couple of shows for them. We did a show called Big Five, Little Five. Um, we did a show called Postcards from the Wild. And then we came back together for The Watches, which we've been doing together now for 13 years, so quite a long time. And Chris is, I have so much respect for Chris. You know, when I started working with Chris, he was this slightly angry punk, you know. <laughs> and now, oh. and, and, and I, didn't, I didn't know that he, he was autistic, or, I didn't know any of that. Now I've learned about that. And I've watched the way that he's grown to become this incredible campaigner and this, you know, just the the most amazing person that stands up for wildlife. And I have so much respect for what he does and his knowledge. I mean, the the thing is, with his Asperger's, it it does mean that he can retain all the information. I find it so frustrating. (laughs) It's such a gift. If you use it well, it's such a gift because he can remember everything you know i i don't know about you kirsty but i think i can remember everything for the program <laughs> and but then it just but all you goes. no but you are well no, well no i i mean i
0: i don't love i mean memorizing lines hard enough isn't it i mean we know that <laughs> yeah. but but no you are you are fabulous and you know it, it is fascinating to watch him and and you're right the the knowledge and the you know anything that's asked i mean this is how much i watch anything that anybody asks, he knows the answer. It is intricate detail that he tells you. And of course, he's also passed that down to Megan now, hasn't he? His stepdaughter, who um, seems to know quite a lot as well. But you all work so well together. But that programme, I mean, you know, it's so popular. It looks like you have a, have
1: the best time as well. Do, do you really enjoy it? I really enjoy it. I mean, I really enjoy the fact that, you know, for a those weeks of the year I'm immersed in British wildlife but I mean it's great it's fun to do but it's a lot of hard work people have no idea how much work goes into that hour of live deli and so you know we're pretty much behind laptops in the day and and writing our scripts and because we we don't have autocue we you know we, we learn yeah. it on the day that's right and then we have yeah. cards so I mean, the cards, hopefully people don't notice too much, but every so often you glance down because you can't remember a name. And you think, I, I don't want to get the name wrong. I'll, I'll just glance down. I mean, we're all human, just glance down. So we have cards, uh, but there's a lot of information to get in. It's a very technical show. So there's a couple of rehearsals in the day. We do a technical rehearsal for cameras. And then we do a dress rehearsal where we run the whole show because obviously a live show, you've only got an hour to fit it in. So if you do the dress rehearsal and it's 10 minutes over, you know, you've got to cut 10 minutes out. And, you know, Chris can go on a bit, can't he? <laughs> <laughs> never, never. He goes I goes mean, on, on. I, 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 do, I do imagine
0: him, sort of the producer in his ear, shouting now and again. I mean, sometimes I do. Come on,
1: move on, move on, Chris. <laughs> Well, Kirsty, he, I mean, he does, hasn't done it in the last couple of years, but he used to do this amazing thing where he'd see how many song titles from an album, a certain album, he could get into the sh- the series that year. So, you know, whether it was the, the Clash or The Cure or whoever, he'd have all these random song titles. And so he would go off on a complete tangent to try and get the song title into the item. But what was so funny but sometimes he'd go off on a tangent and I'd be thinking, oh, my gosh, it's a song title. What's, what? Where's the song title? Come on, get it in, get it in. And it wasn't a song title at all. He was just going off on
0: a tangent. Yeah, so. <laughs> oh, no, it's wonderful. Do you know, my friends all know how much I love watching you guys and know um, and know my love of him. And they'll all watch. And when he, it is, innuendo is something else, isn't it? Sometimes. And they'll all go, oh, ha oh, ha oh, oh, Or text me like that. Oh, but bet you're loving this, Kirsty. I'm like, yep, I am laughing faces. Uh, but no, uh, listen. Yeah, you're, you're wonderful. You're amazing. I, I, I do just have loved watching your career. Love watching it still. Just quickly, anything, any goals for the future? Or do you want to just see how things go? Like you said, I mean, you know, you never know what's around the corner, do you?
1: I think my goal is to... Keep working and keep a balance, as I say I'm, in, in my past, I didn't have a balance. it was all work, but that was great because I, I had a lifestyle that could suit that, whereas now I don't have a lifestyle that can suit that, and so it's getting that equilibrium between work and home life and family and and as i'm getting older, I mean I, you know i'm fifty six you can't keep that place up unless you're David Attenborough who's extraordinary for his incredible oh. <laughs> and um, and and so, I mean, my goal is to keep working, keep inspiring people, try and keep, I mean, keep learning, which we're doing all the time on the watches. It's new science is coming on all the time. I'm not a scientist. So, you know, I find, you know, very small things very interesting, <laughs> a little nugget of science I, I get very excited about. And to just, Keep going. Keep keeping fit as well is, is a is a big goal of mine. I, I think what is so sad for people is, you know, you retire at a certain age. All those things that you want to do in your retirement, suddenly you're not fit enough to do. You know, your knees have gone, your hips have gone, your legs gone, your mind's gone. You think, no, I want to keep fit and healthy. I want to be able to do all those adventures that I still want to do. And my big wildlife goal is to see. Uh, Blue whales, which I've never seen in the world, so that's up there at the top of my bucket list goals to do. If we're talking wildlife,
0: how wonderful! Oh, so would I. That's brilliant. Well, Michaela, thank you so much. What a joy to speak to you finally. I've I've wanted to speak to you or interview you, so it's been absolutely amazing, and I cannot wait to have you back on our screens over here very, very soon. It's going to be amazing.
1: Well, thanks very much, Kirsty. I mean, it's been great to talk about goals and to talk about opportunities and grabbing opportunities and keep those goals changing as you develop through life.
0: Thanks so much for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, please do leave us a review and a rating in your podcast app. And most importantly, tell a friend about it. Give Us Your Goals is brought to you by online investment platform, Best Invest. Best Invest believe that a consistent approach to setting goals allows for a far more comfortable future and that your hard-earned money could work harder through being invested if you'd like help achieving your financial goals consider best invest who offer a wide range of investments free expert coaching smart planning tools and competitive pricing visit bestinvest.co.uk to learn more remember that when you invest your capital is at risk Best Invest is a trading name of Evelyn Partners Investment Management Services Limited, authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority.